Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here. And today I am joined by Professor Emery Berger, who wrote a fascinating essay on the influence that he thinks AI and AI-assisted coding tools will have on academia, the world of professors and students and folks who are learning. He posits that resistance is futile, but I'm sure he'll have some more hopeful takes on how we can adapt and use these tools during the show. So Professor Berger, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Thanks for having me. So for folks who are listening, just give us a quick flyover of your background. How'd you get into the world of computer science and then find yourself as an academic? Okay. You know, when I was a little kid, which was a long time ago, I used to love watching sci-fi movies and uh, there would always be these scenes where somebody would feed like punch cards or something uh, <laughs> into the computer and it would spin and whir and lights would go off and, and then an answer would pop out on the uh, the punch card. I mean, of course, I was excited by spaceships and all that other stuff, but uh, I was really intrigued by this computer that somehow could solve these problems. And so I was uh, very excited to learn more about computers, but it was, you know, I, I did not really have access to computer, but luckily we had a high school, it was a brand new high school and had a lab full of Apple II pluses and I learned about computers. And as I learned about basic, it did not like destroy my initial attraction <laughs> to computers, uh, yeah, which is yeah. good. COBOL almost did, but, uh, but yeah, I was still hooked, you know, went, went to college, went to grad school and uh, I did some, you know, professional work in between. I actually taught in Spain for a couple of years, which was great. Yeah, then got my PhD and became a faculty member. I've been at UMass Amherst since 2002. So in your focus for your PhD and your teaching, does that relate at all to the essay that I mentioned? Or what's your field of study, I guess I should say, and your focus? It, it relates a little bit. So technically, my area is programming languages, although really I span programming languages and what they call systems. So I do work on... My, you know, some of my latest stuff is about a new kind of profiler for Python. Uh, so, like the performance analysis stuff, but also correctness and security for runtime systems. So, gotcha. So, you're interested in the characteristics of languages, how they're developing, why folks are choosing one, and you know what tool might be right for different applications in the professional field. Yeah, I mean, the, from the research perspective, I'm a systems builder. So our group, mm -hmm. we actually build a lot of systems that get deployed and used by people. Mm, so cool. we have things that have been used by, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of developers. And we have, you know, stuff that's been incorporated into products like um, Mac OS X or Windows or the Android software development kit, things like that. So in teaching your students prior to, let's say, 2019, did you worry at all about their use of AI or their use of tools to generate code when you were assigning homework or, you know, thinking about how they would get stuff done that would ultimately connect back to their grade? Quick answer is no. You know, back in the day, really, you know, we're talking about code completion tools at best, mm -hmm. which were like, you know, help you use a certain function or something. These were the moral equivalent of autocorrect. I didn't really see them as uh, <laughs> as anything to be worried about, let's say, right? So, right, right? so yeah, it was not on my radar at all. So what put it on your radar and when did it get to a point where you felt like, you know, it was something that needed to be addressed as you did in your essay? And then I guess we can get to your take um, and maybe how it's been evolving over the last few months as AI has been rapidly sort of advancing alongside it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I actually have a, a friend and colleague uh, who has a startup that's about, you know, applying AI tools to uh, programming development tasks. And I've spent a lot of time visiting Microsoft Research. They do a lot of work there. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of excitement around a thing called program synthesis. And then 
People were, you know, rolling stuff into ML and so on. Uh, so I knew something was coming. And I had seen some, you know, some, I don't know, some Twitter discussion about some stuff from some of these large language models. But when I started playing with it, I realized uh, the ground has shifted. So, you know, I think in my own experience as a writer, some of these tools have been around for a while. You know, there were services that were offering to use AI to write content for me. I even started to worry back when, you know, my Gmail would autocomplete a lot of my sentences. And it was getting to the point where 70% of what I said to people, you know, was just, I was letting it be an autocomplete. You know, I wasn't even really thinking it through. But with the tools that can generate code or with some of the stuff we've seen more recently with chat, what do you worry about when it comes to students? What's the worry? Is the worry that you won't be able to fairly grade what people can understand or that people in using these tools won't work through it themselves and therefore, you know, acquire the knowledge they'll need when they get out into the professional field. Yeah, uh, the latter part is the most important, right? I I think that if you have this tool where you basically feed in the question and it provides the answer, and the answer, uh, you know, one of the advantages of, of computer programs in this context is that you can test them. You can just go ahead and, and say, here's the question, here's the answer. Did the answer do what it was supposed to do? I don't need to understand it. I just need to test it. So it really streamlines the process. In, in a sense, you know, the student, if they do this, they're just the middleman. Uh, you can just <laughs> autocomplete the code yourself, right? Right, right. So yeah, if students were to rely on these things, they would learn nothing. It's as if yeah. you were teaching English and, you know, you had somebody who was auto-completing every essay. You know, no, no learning is, um, is harmed in the, that process, let's say that. Yeah, yeah. So as a former English major, to defend my discipline, but to sort of relate it, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about these AI systems is that they will output stuff without giving you a confidence interval, the end user. And as we've seen, you know, over the last few weeks, often what they'll output for an essay could be completely wrong. It seems right at first blush, but, you know, dig a little deeper and doesn't work. That is, as you point out, the fascinating thing about code is that you can run it. Does it work as intended? Does it produce the result? And so therefore, it functions perhaps, it's a more apt tool, it's a more useful tool for generating solutions there than it is for essay writing, at least at the moment. So you said resistance is futile. So how do you adapt to this? Do we go back to the era of oral exams? Do people research at home and write in the classroom? So finding ways to help students learn how they can leverage it in the future while also ensuring that they grasp, you know, the concepts, why it's working and how to fix something if they can't, you know, get towards the solution they need. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, when I say resistance is futile, I think there are many fronts uh, along which I think resistance is futile. So one of right. them is recognizing that this is the new reality, right? Mm-hmm. Developers are going to be using these tools. So I think that the idea that no the developers will just, you know, take some sort of, um, I hesitate to say Luddite, but take some stance and say, <laughs> you know, like I'm, um, I'm going to abstain, right? I'm going to be a Puritan and I'm just going to use tools as, as God intended, right? Just a keyboard and a human with a mouse, maybe. <laughs> so I, I just don't see that happening, right? It's right. too alluring and it's too effective. It's especially useful if you're messing around with complicated APIs, and mm-hmm. maybe you don't know your way around these APIs and you have to, you know, you have to initialize something first and there's some sequence you have to follow. And maybe you would normally go to Stack Overflow to try to figure out what this, you know, how this all works. Instead, with Copilot, you just start typing and you maybe put in a comment that says what you want to do. And it's very likely that it will generate something useful. Right. From the educator standpoint, I think it's futile in the sense that as alluring as it is to developers, it's even more alluring to students, right? It's just mm-hmm. this siren saying, you know, I will do your homework for you. 
So we have to come up with creative ways of working around it. And I don't think that those creative ways include trying to come up with a way to trick these tools. It does mm-hmm. not work. It does not work. I, you know, I've had a number of colleagues whose initial reaction was, well, I'll just use an obscure programming language. That mostly doesn't work. I'll <laughs> right. just uh, write a more clever assignment. Nope, you won't. Yeah. You won't. It's, it's right. going to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, there was interesting stuff about maybe watermarking it, you know, which is a form of sort of plagiarism detection. There's been essay mills for years, and, you know, teachers have had to try to find ways around that. So I guess in a future, as you pointed out, right, where we all just become product managers uh, with a keyboard and uh, an idea, and the, the AI is doing it for us. You know, I, I certainly feel as, a, as someone who's just a novice coder and has never really grokked it that well, that it would be great to be able to spin up a web app, you know, over a weekend with something like this. But you're saying, don't try to design, you know, more complicated questions. Don't try to trick it, you know, with other languages or, you know, there's no way to fool the system. So for your upcoming, you know, semester and for colleagues in the same field who are listening, what is your plan? And have you talked about this, I guess I would say with other professors or other, maybe even students like, Hey, you know, you're here to learn you're paying a lot for this tuition, undoubtedly. You can get these AI tools for free. So now that you're here, here's how we're going to try to learn and what I think, how you think it will benefit them. So it's definitely been a very, very active topic among our faculty. It you know, gets discussed on academic Twitter or soon academic Mastodon with my, <laughs> ex- my third exam questions. I just gave the questions uh, with very little additional structure. I just said, here's the question, use this and this and this. And it produced uh, totally solid answers for all of my exam questions. Okay, I hear you stating the case for what the problem is, but I don't hear you stating your solution, what you're going to do going forward, what's happening in future semesters. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this semester, I mean, I started actually, so I wrote the essay, I think, in August. And uh, so I was was ready, I planned accordingly. So right now, homeworks in this class that I teach, so I teach a a junior, senior level course, uh, my undergrad class that I teach is on web programming. Gotcha. And so there are homework assignments. There's, uh, you know, weekly homeworks. The homeworks in total account for 10% of the grade. So it's a very good idea to do the homeworks. I make it very clear that the exams are going to be testing material that you will have practiced on the homeworks, but the exams are proctored and are in person. The projects are all done with, uh, with GitHub Classroom. So as I like to say, GitHub uh, taketh, but it also giveth. So, <laughs> so they, they, with GitHub Classroom, we can see everybody's contributions uh, and we can see them over time. And if somebody suddenly produced a big chunk of code uh, that appeared without any intermediate testing or bugs and patches and so on, right, it right. would be highly suspicious. So I right. do think that there's some hope. We've talked about this. We've not invested any effort into it, but I suspect you could easily write a program that could go over GitHub Classroom and discover anomalous submissions, right? So you could use that to guide some sort of uh, plagiarism detection or whatever if you yeah. sought to do that. Uh, you know, it is still the case that you can run these uh, this plagiarism detection software. That said, one of my students and I wrote an academic paper on a system that utterly defeated the plagiarism detector that people <laughs> were using. So right. I have little little confidence that we'll be able to actually do that. I foresee an era in which we get into some uncomfortable and interesting situations similar. I don't know if you've been following this chess cheating scandal, but you know, for a long time, AIs have been better than humans. And so they monitor, are you playing roughly in the you know, sort of like range where you usually perform? Or are you getting closer to superhuman level? Um, and now we have an interesting situation. Somebody was playing live. There's no proof that they cheated, but 
a review of their performance suggests it was anomalous. And so therefore, you know, it's been accepted as cheating. And, you know, that in some ways runs counter to that moment when somebody has a breakthrough or a bit of ingenuity or something like that. You know, you want to encourage students, I'm sure, and anybody to step up to the next level. Although, you know, as you point out, let's do it in a way that's really transparent. Maybe sunlight is the best way. You know, if you're going to be writing things, make sure you write it here in GitHub Classroom and do it step by step and show your work. And therefore we can follow along with that kind of process. Right. I mean, that said, I mean, clearly, you know, if somebody at GitHub decided to make a, you know, a a human-like GitHub committer with AI, I think it would be very, (laughs) it would not be hard. I think it would work. Uh, which would be bad. Um, so hopefully they won't do that. I have right. a few friends who work there. Uh, I, please, if you're out there listening, please don't do that. Right. All the work of creating these uh, these these wonderful cheat tools, maybe we'll teach the students something, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I mean, I will say, you know, the students, you know, so far, I don't really see that they're using it, but I think that it's coming. It just, you know, the fact that you can just install it for as an extension in VS Code and it's free for students, which was a little bit of a, an obnoxious move right before the uh, the start of the fall semester. <laughs> there were uh, quite a few faculty members who were not thrilled about that. But yeah, I mean, I think, look, if, uh, if you have these tools, they're going to be great. But I think we also should be careful to not be like, look, let's not bother teaching people um, how to understand how these things work. And it, it's definitely the case that not all the code that you write has already been written by other people. You know, right. there's, there's novelty in the world. A lot of the stuff that we do in my lab, this is advanced research and development, but you know, it, it helps a tiny bit, but we find ourselves not using it hardly at all. So I guess, yeah, to end on a positive note, when you look forward, what are you excited about? You know, like tell us a little bit about maybe some of the research you're doing or some of the ways in which you see people using, you know, the current crop of languages or AI tools to do things that, you know, you feel like are productive and are moving the field forward. Wow. Big question. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, just to, to start with like these large language models, I think, you know, it's, it's exciting to see these developments. It's a little scary. There's lots of questions and concerns, you know, they're outside of, of, uh, software development. There's lots and lots of concerns. And then there's license issues and all these other things that said, I mean, I think that there's a lot of drudgery involved in programming Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're like, oh, I need to set up this socket or I need to start this graphics window and I need to do all of these things. And a lot of that is, it's kind of boilerplate and having something that can dispense with that. You know, I showed people, look, you could come in and use Python to create a graph with matplotlib. You just say, import matplotlib, and then you just start typing in comments of what you want, and it will (laughs) produce totally reasonable code. And I think we should be really happy about this. You know, it's been a dream for decades to right. have the ability to, you know, for ordinary people to program their computers to get some useful stuff out. So the citizen developers out here are feeling very empowered. We're ready. Exactly, exactly. Ready to write our own marketing tech stack. <laughs> All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I want to thank a user who came on Stack Overflow and shared a little knowledge. Congratulations to MB Crump, awarded 23 hours ago the Lifeboat badge answer score of 20 or more to a question that had a score of negative three. It's gone and have a score of three or more. So they saved a little knowledge from the dustbin of history. How do I generate a random integer in C? Thank you, MB Crump. You've helped over... Wow. This question has been viewed three million times. So quite a few people have been helped by a good answer on that question. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me you used to be able to find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, and you can always email us podcast at Stack Overflow with questions or suggestions. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. 
Professor Berger. Let folks know where they can find you and where they should check out more of your work. Sure. So my website is emeryberger.com. So E-M-E-R-Y-B-E-R-G-E-R. I'm also formerly of Twitter, but same handle on Mastodon with uh, followed by at discuss.systems. Uh, my labs page is plasma-umass.org, which has links to all of our exciting projects on GitHub. All right, Professor Berger, again, thanks for coming on. And everybody else, thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. 